Hi there, and welcome back to Think Aloud with Dr. G. This is a space where we can think aloud together about education, special education, learning, and life. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Michael Fagella Luby. As a quick reminder, Dr. Fagella Luby is a professor of special education and the director of the Alice Neely Special Education Research and Service Institute, also known as ANSWERS, at Texas Christian University. In the first half of our conversation, we discussed lessons learned in his educational journey and paused on an extremely critical point that teachers do the very best they can, and it's important to remember we work within a system of supports. The second half of our conversation highlights the value of community for teachers and students. We explore how special education law has a history in the civil rights movement and the idea of equity for all. We wrap up with an optimistic discussion about where the field of special education is now and how it can continue to improve. I don't want a teacher to ever feel like they're alone in the last outpost in the West. And and too often they go into the classroom doing the very best they can. And then when that doesn't work for the kiddos, they don't know what to do. Because right. they feel isolated and alone. And I don't, I don't care if you're, I don't know, building a building. Nobody does that by themselves, right? Even right. doctors delivering care. Nobody does this stuff by themselves. And so I love what you said about sort of recognizing the perspectives and the team and the idea that I don't have to be alone in this. And if things didn't go well, well, it turns out I'm human. And I am not able to teach every kid every day, all the time by myself. I just, I don't have that kind of ego. I'm going to need to go out and say to a colleague or a group of colleagues in some sort of set team or problem solving team and say, so here's what I tried. Here's what happened. Anybody got a different solution? Who had this kid last year? Who also has this kid right now? Uh, that to me is, uh, I, I told you the story about being, being and teaching what I, what I didn't talk about that I still hunger for. And maybe we never get this back. Totally. I taught in a community of, of really wonderful learners and teachers when I was at that high school. And I, I still, we just had a, a mentor passed away sadly recently and um, got to reconnect with a lot of those folks, right? You know, cause as, as way leads on to way, we, we sort of never really get back there. Thanks to Robert Frost says to me, that was, those were halcyon days. They said, I mean, it's being with a community that's very special like that. I want every teacher to have that. I want my teachers who are out just down the road here at a local high school, Pasco high school. I want them to have that community too, so that they don't, I mean, I don't want you to feel like you're solving problems alone. Heavens knows that's why we talk about this kind of Exactly. Stuff. Well, and you mentioned Missouri, being here in the middle of Missouri, which for those who are geographically challenged as I am, it's landlocked, there's no ocean. So um, we, we use a lot of metaphors about oceans and islands and feeling very alone and solitary, partly because I'm, I'm missing the ocean. And so we will be traveling again soon, all things, aligned in the universe, but we don't want our teachers to feel like islands. And I worry as somebody who's in teacher preparation, as you are as well, there's such pressure that they have to know their content and they have to know their standards and they're supposed to know how to write a lesson and deliver a lesson. And there's this kind of implied expectation that they can do this all independently. 
And I feel like that's the greatest thing I'm trying to get through to my students and my future teachers is that you're not independent. You are amazing as a human and you are better together. So this is a conversation. These are words I use all the time, but we are better together because we can bring in new ideas, new energy, new motivations, new ways to think about the very same thing that will ultimately help us teach all of our students, which is the goal. We want all of the ships to rise. We want all of the students to learn. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Dewey, uh, Dewey said that schools are doubly educational. They're, they're a place to both learn about democracy and a place to, to practice it. And there's no, there's no more democratizing thing than ensuring the right of literacy. The, the right of, of being able to understand basic computation, right? That they understand the systems around us that they're, that they're coming into. Um, and if we want that for our world, for our country, we have to want that for our kids because they're going to be the ones who take us to that. Um, yes. And we want that for our kids. We have to want that for our educators to have that ability to work in those environments that will allow them to create that for our students. Absolutely. So I'm going to try to bring you back because you and I have this habit of having really long conversations and we don't come back to the thing we said we were going to do. Right back. So you mentioned like kind of where you started in special education and then maybe how you're thinking about it now. So I, in my own mind, am thinking of my evolution story and where I am. So how do you see special education now, maybe your role? And it sounds like, I'm going to put some words in your mouth and I apologize, but it sounds like it's more of this collaborative or get the message out. It's not just special education's this thing over here and general education is everybody else. So how do you see special education now? Yeah. Um, there are some folks who will, uh, who will talk about, uh, the most recent uh, federal legislation for kids with disabilities was reauthorized in 2004. Remember, remember that? Um, and, you <laughs> most know, to, of my students don't. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you, you would have, uh, you could be a 17 year old uh, and certainly not even have been born. Um, you know, the, again, people listening probably know this or they'll snicker, but like, Federal legislation is supposed to be reauthorized every five to seven years. We haven't done this particular one in 17 years. And uh, this is not a love it or leave it situation. This is a, hey, there's some things we'd love to do to improve it, but is the climate right to tinker with the entire black box? You know, how, how do we do this, right? right? And I think uh, regardless of your party affiliation, when you've had a kid with a disability, what you want is really good outcomes for that kid. And I think yeah. we, we need to come together on that. In fact, early special ed legislation in the 70s is very much about that. People on both sides of the aisle agreeing that kids with disabilities needed, needed something different. And, um, and, and interestingly, not being sure that they were going to include kids with learning disabilities in that original piece of legislation, right? So right. there's always been a conversation about what is disability and who is disability and how is disability. Um, but, but sort of to answer your question, there's been conversations about maybe when we reauthorize, we could take IDEA and we could take the ESSA, you know, the, the most recent version of that now, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, as it was reauthorized recently. And maybe we should just put them together. You know, as an education, education, you know, so many times people will say, isn't just good teaching, good teaching. But the thing about special education that is the sword I find myself regularly falling on is that special education law has a history in the civil rights movement of this country. And we are reminded on a daily basis about equity for all, 
And that doesn't see color. It doesn't um, have to be something that is about gender. Uh, and in this particular case, it's a piece of legislation, meaning IDEA, that guarantees certain rights. Uh, Red would be impressed if I could tick off all of the six principles and four outcomes. Just the fact that I know there are six and four, let's, let's call that good enough. Um, those are the things we want, yes, for all kids, but we are going to have a piece of legislation that guarantees that for the kids who have been most marginalized by the system. And the data bears that out. The data bears that out. So when you ask me where I sort of think about special education today, I, I at times will say there's, there tends to be a conversation in our field about categorical versus non-categorical identification. And I, I am definitely an interventionist. I don't really care what your label is. I care what you need to be successful. However, I'm not naive enough to think that we should do anything that doesn't allow you to get identified, right? That the label ensures you to certain services and rights and resources that then we can figure out what you need. And uh, going through that personally now with my own family, seeing that process, um, waiting, a child waiting over six months before they'll get their diagnosis from the, from the local school, that's, that tells me that that child is not going to get all of their needs met. And being that it's personal, I, of course, have feelings about that. Right. But the most important there are thing- barriers for that child's access, huge barriers that we have to address at all of the levels, right? At the individual child level, at the school level, the district level, but also the legislative level. So we've, we've got some work to do, absolutely. Rudd used to talk about, uh, oh, who is this? Oh, it doesn't matter, it's a podcast. Somebody will tweet you back and tell you that I was wrong, but I think it was like John Rawls or somebody. Uh, he, he talked about this idea of or the concept that I think is important is, you should build whatever societal laws you want without knowing what role you'll have in society, right? And, and society doesn't work that way, right? So aligned right. to a system and you could end up the pauper or the king, you're going to build a system that equally helps both. Benefits but if you know both. you're going to be the king, you don't worry about the other end. And if you know you're going to want you to get the other, right? So right. to me, watching watching this process and knowing that this federal legislation exists, special education to me, it's about ensuring the, the best outcomes for children born to parents who had no idea this was coming, who may have limited resources or grand resources, but who as part of the fabric of our country right. require certain guarantees that those students get a fair shake. To me, that's really, really important. And that's at the root of, and I've been doing that every day, but that's at the root of what I do uh, and the root of what special education means to me. And that's at the root of the law. When you put our special education law that was originally written back in 1975, yes, we did have light bulbs back then, um, but the historical and cultural context, we didn't have cell phones, um, you know, the historical and cultural context of that was about access and civil rights and anti-discrimination against a group of people who had been marginalized within our society and had been left out of opportunity. And so I think that that kind of civil rights message and that access message has to stay front and center. Now, are the, are the conversations the same now? Goodness, no, that's been 40 some years ago. Like we should have evolved and grown and moved, but there are still these core tenets of access 
and opportunity that we want to make sure that all students have. So now how yeah. do we do that? How, how do we do that, Lisa, you know, in terms of teacher preparation? You know, when you think about most states, uh, if you go through a traditional pre-service preparation program, mm-hmm. we typically require three credit hours, you know, the disability of the right. week, uh, study right. of exceptional children class for our general ed teachers. And the reality is a few minutes ago, we were talking about how it, it takes a village, right? To be right. able to support the teacher and the student in the successful journey through school, all these different expertise, these different paradigms. Three credit hours doesn't really give you enough. Out of 120, I feel like you need to like make sure that you put it in context, right? Three out of 120. Yeah, you you barely have enough knowledge to be dangerous to to ask the right questions. Right. I think that's important. I think that as as teacher preparers, as hiring principals. Now, I've I've worked in places uh, in Massachusetts where... um, week before school, they have a hundred teacher openings because the way teacher insurance works and people leaving and not saying they've left. If I'm a principal of school and I have 20 openings in the first day of school, I need a warm body. So I understand real pressure, but at the same time, given the opportunity to have people in my building, working with the children I'm responsible for as a building leader, I've got to find people and maybe just ask myself that question. Who's got more than the minimum when it comes to the kids who are most marginalized? I, I think they're going to get better outcomes when they have that. Agreed. And I feel like that's a teacher preparation conversation that we could have in maybe another conversation another day too. But also I feel like a teacher continuing development conversation yeah. because I can send out a teacher into the world, but I haven't been able to teach them everything they need yet because they haven't had the experiences yet that they need to connect those two. So it needs to be teacher ongoing education as well as teacher preparation. But we might have to do that conversation another day. Um, So in the interest of this being a shorter podcast rather than a full hour that you and I could do with no trouble. I do want to kind of wrap up and I want to ask you some things kind of more globally, get some of your insight about some things. So three really quick questions. I'm just going to throw them at you. Are you ready? Yeah. First, who is an educator who has inspired you? Who's an educator who's inspired me? So, so many folks. Um, the first one that pops in your head, we won't judge that it's like the most inspirational, just the first one you think of. Uh, Tom Hashem was my uh, middle school uh, math teacher, Adam, for Algebra 1 and Algebra 2. I, I've actually written a little bit about him because, uh, and we reconnected. I was able to, I was able to, you know, the gift of email, right? Somehow okay. uh, uh, my mom probably found him or something, but um, no, I, I love the way he talked to us. I loved the way he approached math. I loved the way it wasn't just about what was happening in the classroom. He used to periodically say, and I'm going to step on my soapbox for a second. And he had no reason to do that. We were just a bunch of snotty nosed middle school boys and girls. And he saw much more than that in us. Yeah. Tom's That's great. A fantastic long lasting impact. I love that. I love that as a teacher who inspired you. Okay. So what is something you're reading right now in your professional life? This is actually yeah. part A and part B. What is something right. you're currently reading for your work? Yeah. What, what aren't we reading? <laughs> I know, <laughs> no, right? Right. Pick one. <laughs> I, I will share um, the book that I'm telling everybody about that I, that I read recently that is, is most sticking with me is uh, 
It's a book out of business that's called Scrum. And it's, it's sort of got a tagline, which I hate, like, uh, you know, doing twice the work and half the much time or being more efficient in your workload or whatever. I think, uh, you know, people will say to you things like work, work smarter, not harder or whatever. What I really liked about this book was I've been doing this for a while. I think for all of us, anybody who's listening, you've been probably doing the thing you're doing for a while. Um, it's why we seek out, seek out podcasts like this, because we're interested in learning more and we want a new spin on our, our thing. And Scrum was really interesting to me. It was sort of taking out of computer science, instead of looking at a one-week work cycle, it's looking at a two-week work cycle and just sort of a process that helps you both get things done, but also learn from the process so that you get better the next two weeks and the next two weeks. And I strive, I strive for some of that efficiency in what I do. And those were tasks that I do more than once. Awesome. So I'm actually going to put that in the show notes. So Scrum and we'll put the author information as well as I'm going to ask you to shoot me some of those resources you were talking about earlier, like the research on the hidden disabilities and the work that you're currently doing to like when the private schools and that kind of piece that we were talking about. So we'll, we'll make sure that we have some of those pieces available for folks, but the part B of that question then, because you are a whole human who doesn't just do special education. What are you reading for fun right now? Yeah. So uh, it took me a, a while in life to figure out that you can, both uh, read books on your nightstand table, which tends to be like a page at a time and then I fall asleep, or um, I get most of my exercise in the morning and I've learned to do that with, uh, you know, audio books from my local public library. I don't even have an Audible account. I just do the public library. So I'm currently, uh, I'm currently listening to Watership Down, uh, which some people may know. It's by Richard Adams. And I, um, you know, it's a sort of fantasy. It amounts to a kid's book. Uh, and there's still the old English teacher in me that loves to come across that fiction. Um, and I, I love it. I, I find the themes very interesting. And when I'm listening and there's still the teacher that never goes away, who thinks, why would I teach this? What would I want the kids to get out of this? What is this saying to them? Why did the author tell the story in this way? Um, and it's really great. I just did a whole bunch of Hemingway um, and there were some great readers and that really helps too. But yeah. uh yeah. So there you go. That's There's awesome. Okay. Final question. What or who inspires you? <laughs> what or who inspires me? Um, yeah. Mo- most recently, um, it, it's a hard thing to say, but like m- most recently, um, it's my son. It's my son, my son who, who is going through this disability diagnosis process, who's having to move schools. Um, I've been a professor uh, for, this will be my 16th year, uh, but I have a 10-year-old so, so, uh, with a disability and several disabilities, it turns out. And um, I got into special ed because I wanted to champion the civil rights issues that we talked about. And that, that's me. That was me from 22 to today. I have a whole new understanding and motivation and I see him every day and the things he does so, so well and the things he struggles with. And, um, and I want him to have teachers regardless of what classroom he goes in, in what district, in what state, I want there to be teachers who can meet his needs. And he has not been fortunate enough to experience that yet. And so I look very differently at my own students now knowing actually next year, he'll have one of my students for his teacher. 
Oh, I love that full circle moment. Yeah, I can't, and I can't help but think, did I do a good enough job? Right. It reminds me that the story of the, uh, you know, the story of the builder is coming to the end of his career. And the, the guy says to him, you know, build one more house. And he does kind of shoddy workmanship and the owner, the guy gives it to him. Right. And he realizes, oh, well, this would have been my house. I would have done it differently. You've got to treat everybody's house like it's your own. And I've got to treat every teacher like they're going to te- teach my child. Uh, and so Jack is. Uh, yeah, he keeps me on my toes. Well, and he's just a fantastic human anyway, so it's easy to be inspired by him. I love his sense of humor and his wit. He's a pretty great kid. But I love that you have this perspective. You have all of these perspectives. When you look back in your own kind of evolution as an instructor and an educator and a parent and a person and a human who lives on this earth with us, you have these perspectives to kind of look at it from a variety of situations. You can take a situation and look at it from a a parent perspective, from a teacher perspective, from a SPED perspective. And that's beautiful. And that's something that I want for all of our teacher, our future teachers and our current teachers, and just all of us as humans. I think we can, we can do a better job because we're having these conversations together and we are better together. So I want to thank you for taking this time with me today. And I am better for this time we had together. So thank you for sharing your insights with us. It was absolutely my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It is so encouraging to hear the passion Michael has for preparing effective teachers and for supporting them in their continued growth. I can say with confidence this passion is common in the educational world, and I, for one, am here for it. Check out the show notes for the resources mentioned in each section of our conversation. Thank you again for joining us, and I look forward to our next opportunity to think aloud together. Until then, stay curious.